Again, um, let me say welcome to Crestwick Baptist Church. For those of you who have not met me because I am really new, um, I'm RJ. Here at Crestwick, I'm known as the other RJ. <laughs> There's another RJ who is younger, better looking, smarter, and more famous than I am. <laughs> It's good to have everyone here. I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. We are grateful to the Lord for the privilege of celebrating the 10th anniversary of Resurrection Christian Academy with all of you. God has been very faithful to the church and to the school. And it is fitting then that we worship him with the words of this psalm. Psalm 145. Let me read it. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him, he also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. And certainly with the psalmist, we would say that God deserves our constant praise for all eternity. That's what he's saying in verse 1 and verse 2. 
I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. It's a continuous act of giving praise to God. All of life devoted to his glory because of who God is. My God, my King. My God who is, in verse 3, great. And I love the song that the kids sang. I even understood it in French somewhat. (laughs) Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And in French, I, I won't try, but it's even better in French. His greatness is beyond our ability to fathom. That's verse 3. His greatness is unsearchable. And the psalmist doesn't, even, doesn't just declare that with his words. If you know how to read Hebrew, this is an acrostic. Psalm 145 goes through the letters of the Hebrew alphabet from Aleph all the way to Joel, help me out. What's the last word of the Hebrew alphabet? Shin, Tav. (laughs) From A to Z, if you will, of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's a way of saying that we are declaring the awesomeness of God from A to Z, comprehensively, if you will. But the, the psalmist also does something unique. He leaves out one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 word, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are only 21 verses here because the, the psalmist is also trying to say, by leaving out one letter, that even when we have praised God comprehensively with all our being, our descriptions and our praise fall short of the wonder of who God is. There are not enough words put together all the languages in the world. There are not enough words to exalt our God who demonstrates His greatness in His mighty acts. So verse 4 would say, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. Consider with me the beauty of God's creation. I saw it as I drove the 401 on the way here. Um, If you could show that picture. Now, that's a picture of a lake uh, somewhere in Jasper. And yes, I know, you've seen better, right? But here's the deal. I gave up looking for majestic pictures because there are too many of them. And they don't really capture the greatness of God's creation fully. That's just a glimpse of the grandeur, the beauty of what God has made. They declare this is a faint glimpse of the greatness of this God who created and sustains this entire universe by his powerful word. And he doesn't simply keep things going. As king, he sovereignly superintends every event in this world so that everything that happens helps to accomplish 
his purposes. You see, when the psalmist speaks of God's mighty acts, he's not just thinking of God's work of creation and providence. He's also thinking of God's wondrous works recorded in Scripture, of how God enabled a 90-year-old woman named Sarah to bear a child, of how God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt by ten plagues that completely embarrassed the gods of the Egyptians, of how he parted the Red Sea and took Israel from slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land, sustaining them for 40 years as they wandered in the desert, and how he gave them the land of Canaan. All these and more proclaim that there is none like this God, none like Yahweh. And it is our privilege and calling to adore this awesome God. And so the psalmist in verse 4 invites us to be links in a living chain of praise and worship. When he says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. As we sang a while ago, we pass the promise. And that's ultimately why RCA exists, doesn't it? To commend God's works to the next generation. To tell of God's mighty acts and speak of the glorious splendor of His majesty. So teachers and staff, I'm going to address you just as Sam addressed you a while ago. Great minds think alike. Teachers and staff, I'd like you to remember and rejoice that God has given you the privilege and calling of passing on to your students your own delight in God. And it's for your own benefit. C.S. Lewis reminds us, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. And I used to teach. I taught high school chemistry for a couple of years. And I know it's easy to lose sight of the privilege of sharing the wonder of God's greatness to your students. I love talking about chemistry. I'm still a geek. But in the daily grind of lesson planning, classroom management, and grading papers, Teaching can become burdensome, can it? I encourage you. Maintain your joy by gazing upon the grandeur of God. Look at verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Reflect on God's wonderful works and the glorious splendor of his person so that you could retain and increase your joy. 
Now, let me talk to the students, those of you who are still here. I hope you value the gift that you are now enjoying. You are receiving a comprehensive education that recognizes your full humanity. And like you, I was in Christian schools for the better part of my elementary and high school years. And I don't know about you, but I wasn't always grateful. I chafed at the restrictions, and it was worse for me because the principal happened to be my pastor and happened to be my uncle. <laughs> Talk about rough. When I got into trouble at school, that carried into church, and it followed me home. <laughs> but I look back now, 35 years later, and I realize that being in a Christian school was a tremendous blessing because you're not just learning about the order God built. You're not just learning reading, writing, and arithmetic. You are learning about the order God built into the universe as you study science and math. You're seeing the creativity of humanity as you study literature. You're seeing how God guides history as you study history. So that you're being introduced to the living and true God every day. And by the way, this kind of learning isn't just restricted to Christian schooling. The world is filled with the grandeur of God. As I was reflecting on my life as a student, I realized that even my studies in chemistry were actually faith-affirming. They gave me reason to praise God every day. The challenge is for us to be intentional, whatever we're doing, about seeing how God's glory is being displayed where we are. And on top of the quality education that you're receiving, I hope you realize that your teachers are models and mentors who help form your character. That was my experience. And I encourage you to lean into this privilege, to take advantage of your time at RCA to build a strong academic foundation and to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It will prepare you not just for the challenges of life that will lie ahead, but also for eternity. And parents, I'm following Sam's lead here. I want to thank you for, the sac for making the sacrifice to put your kids in RCA. And the fact that you're here tells me that you are engaged and you want them to hear of the fame of the greatness of God. And with the demands of you, on your time and energy, raising kids can be a struggle. I, I have got three of them. But I'm sure you agree that your kids are worth the effort. Let me encourage you. As you help your kids with their homework, please help them look beyond the grade that they will get for the assignment to see the power, the greatness of God that is being displayed in this awesome work that you are studying so that you celebrate with your children the goodness and greatness of God. This is the goal. Verse 7, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness 
and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. This is what school should be about. (laughs) Seeing, savoring, reveling in the majesty of who God is. And so parents, you need to begin where the teachers need to begin. By delighting in God's wonderful works and experiencing the righteousness of God so that you would sing of Him to your children. See, underlying the psalmist's determination to praise God is the reality that you and I, we human beings, are wired to worship. In the words of Paul Tripp, one of my favorite authors, we are glory hounds. We look for glory. We look for greatness. It's the reason we long for the Leafs and Raptors to win championships. And ouch. (laughs) Look, it's not a question of if we worship, but of what we worship. Because you and I were created to be in awe of God. The problem is we get distracted and we try to find in other things what only the true and living God can give. And so we find ourselves frustrated and empty. And I'm sorry to bring this up, but the leaves are actually kind of a metaphor for idolatry. They make you hope every season, right? And when the playoffs start, they give you so much hope. But like every idol, they just don't deliver. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but the psalmist gives us the antidote for our idolatry. Look at verse 5 to verse 7. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. That's the cure. You look to the real thing. And God is no thing. He is the one who alone deserves our worship because there is none like him. His works demonstrate his greatness. But here's the better part. His greatness is exercised in goodness. Look at what the psalmist says in verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You may not catch the significance of that, but if you, if you read Exodus 34, 6 and 7, and you know the history of Israel when they went into Mount Sinai, this is a quote from God's confrontation with Moses when Moses was asking God in the aftermath of Moses, begging God not to destroy the Israelites because they had turned from him to worship the golden calf. And God said these words to Moses, having demonstrated his unfailing love by sparing Israel from destruction. That's God. Gracious 
and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. As J. Clinton McCann, who's a scholar on the Psalms, would put it, God's sovereignty or power does not take the form of coercion. God's omnipotence is not the all-powerfulness of force, but all the, the all-powerfulness of love. And what an incredible power. Because God's reign is characterized by omnipotent love. God will not give up on sinful mankind, and God will not be crushed by the staggering burden of human failure to enact and embody God's will. And that's why the psalmist can go on in verse 9 and say, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy over all that He has made. If you and I are still alive, and this world hasn't fallen to pieces yet, it is because God has continued to be merciful. His goodness extends to all creation. And that's why the psalmist broadens his vision from himself praising God to calling us to praise God to our children. Now in verse 10, he broadens his vision and says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Every single creature ought to give praise to this glorious God. And he makes a specific challenge to the church, to the saints, to the people of God, to those who belong to him. He tells us, this is our privilege to proclaim to the people around us God's mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Look at what it says. Verse 11. They, referring to the saints, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. This is why we exist as a church. We are here to make known this glorious king whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, whose dominion endures throughout all generations. That's the king we adore. That's the king we proclaim. That's the king we represent. Now, I know some of you might be uncomfortable with this. A God of unlimited power is threatening because he puts a limit to our autonomy, doesn't he? We all want to be God, but the existence of a true and living God kind of crushes our aspirations to Godhood. We don't want to be under anyone's authority. Some of us might be uncomfortable with the notion of a sovereign ruler because we have seen power being abused. Some of us might have been abused by power. But here's the wonderful thing. This God is not like that. This God uses his power to do us good and, and see the comfort that the psalmist gives us in verse 14. Imagine this sovereign king who reigns and rules in power, majesty, and might, dwelling in unapproachable light, 
Verse 14. The Lord, Yahweh, upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. Imagine that, a God magnificent and glorious who yet stoops down to pay attention, not to great and mighty people, but to people who are falling, to people who are weak. We live in a world where power is often exercised by the strong in order to oppress the weak. God is the king who displays his greatness by caring for the weak and marginalized, those who are falling and bowed down. And we are here because God has done that, hasn't he? He has faithfully met our needs through the, this difficult two years. He's the reason RCA has continued to operate this past 10 years. This is God who has been faithful beyond our wildest dreams. And yes, we live in a broken world filled with injustice, but here is the comfort. Look at verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. This righteous king who is superintending everything, who cares for the weak and marginalized, also hears and answers prayers according to his just and loving purposes. My family and I know this for ourselves. But for the nearness of God, I actually would not be here. 2008, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called myasthenia gravis, and it left my muscles very weak. I was in such bad shape that by the time my neurologist diagnosed my condition, I had to be confined, but before I could be confined, I actually stopped breathing. No big deal. <laughs> in the providence of God, I was in the emergency room of Sunnybrook. And I, all I can remember is um, turning away from the, the, the resident or intern who was asking me all sorts of questions when I couldn't breathe. And next thing I knew, I was on a respirator 36 hours later. And in the days that followed, my doctors were frustrated. They could not get me off the respirator. They'd done everything they could, and they just looked at me, you are weird, boy. And Joel and I wondered if we'd ever recover. And we were, we were facing a lot of uncertainty then. Here's the end of the story. Well, for now. A couple of months ago, my neurologist talked to me on the phone and said, RJ, I don't want to talk to you anymore because I declare you officially in remission. 14 years. We can attest, as a family, the words of verse 19. He fulfills the desire 
of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Now, you might object. Good for you. That's not how I feel, and that's not what I am going through. And that's fair. The Bible tells us that suffering and frustration are part of living in a world that is cursed by sin. In fact, Psalm 145 is deliberately placed at the end, or towards the end, of a book that has more laments than psalms of praise. Those laments give voice to our pain. They encourage us to bring our pain to God. Because second, God knows our situation. In fact, knows it better than we do. And He is so good. He gives us what He, what he knows is best for us. And the challenge is for us to bring our pain to Him and to allow Him to align our desires to His plans so that we entrust ourselves to Him. That's what the psalmist means when he calls on us, when he says, the Lord is near, or when he talks about fearing Him. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. See, to fear God isn't to be afraid of God. To fear God is to love and trust Him because you recognize that this awesome God is good and great. As C.S. Lewis would put it, He is not safe, but He is good. And I saw that in an older man that I used to pastor. His son, who also was a friend of mine, was about my age too, was in intensive care because of a fungal infection in his lungs. And I was with this man in the hospital when they told him that his son had died. And when he heard the news, I remember him looking at me and saying, through the tears, it is God's will. And then he sat down and wept. I mourned with him. But I also looked up to him. He was in pain at losing his only son, but he was submitting to the purposes of God even when he didn't understand or even like what God was doing. And this man's response reminded me of Job's response. When he found out that he had lost all his wealth and all his children had died and all he had left was his wife who told him, honey, just curse God and die. He said, in the midst of his mourning and grief. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Was that brother naive? Was he simply blind to reality? I dare say no. See, his faith was grounded on a historical reality that the psalmist himself longed to see, that Job longed to see. You see, when we think of the mighty acts of God our King, we on this side of the cross remember great David's greater son, Jesus, the Son of God incarnate. He is the one who demonstrates definitively that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Because out of that love, the Son of God became a fully human being, just like you and me, except that he had no sin. The incarnate Son of God lived a fully human life that pleased God. And he exercised his sovereign power to lay down his life on the cross. He hung on that cross as our sacrifice and substitute, bearing the wrath of God that you and I deserve. He is the only one who could rescue us from the wrath to come. And by his death, he fully satisfied the justice of God And in his resurrection, he brings in the life of the new creation. And that is the ultimate expression of his righteousness and love. And so when the psalmist says in verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. We have every reason to rejoice. And it's not because you and I are good If you think that, you haven't looked at yourself in the mirror lately. We're all sinners deserving of damnation. But through faith in Christ, we who are wicked have been made right with God because Jesus bore our punishment. His Spirit opens our eyes to the beauty of Jesus, enabling us to trust in Jesus so that united with him through faith, his righteousness that fully pleased the Father is credited to us. And united with him, he has changed our rebellious hearts to love and adore him so that we can truly say we are those who love him because God has changed our hearts. See, Jesus has reconciled us to God and brought us into eternal covenant relationship with him through his death and resurrection so that we can truly call him Yahweh, the one who is our covenant Lord, our King, our God. We are the people who trust in him, his saints, his holy ones, the ones that he has set apart for himself through faith, the special objects of God's steadfast, gracious love. And so we join our hearts with the psalmist.
in verse 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Will you not join us in praising him? Will you not put your faith, your trust, your confidence in King Jesus? Will you not bow to his reign so that you may know him to be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love? Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you, we praise you. For truly you are unsearchable in your greatness. No tongue could tell of your matchless works. And yet you have condescended not only to make yourself known, but to know us and bring us into relationship with you. Not just a uh, passing high and goodbye kind of relationship, but you draw us to yourself so that we may know you and be known because you, we are known by you as the objects of your special, unfailing love, your redemptive love. I pray, Father, that you would cause us to grasp more fully the height, depth, and breadth of this amazing covenant love. so that we would be thrilled and enthralled and bubbling over with delight so that we could not but speak of you to others. And I pray that those who are here who are strangers to your grace, Lord, will you not be merciful to them? Will you not open the eyes of their hearts? and cause the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to shine in their hearts. We ask this not for our sakes, but for the glory of your matchless name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing the closing song. <laughs>